2: Love Talk Radio.
0: Good morning. We are on the air today with the 2019 World Champion of Public Speaking, Aaron W. Beverly of Toastmasters International. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, Aaron.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: This is fantastic. I've been going back over previous interviews that you've done. I've been going back over anything that I could find. (laughs) <laughs> about you and I, I knew there was something familiar about your story and your perseverance is amazing because basically you've gone five times to the finals um, or if you would say to the stage of being in the same platform and being in yeah, the same yeah. space. You've been going five times Consecutively and consecutively you've well, not, been not quite placing
2: consecutively.
0: <laughs> well, to me if I like, you didn't take that much of a break. Because yeah. I had uh, Ramona um, the 2018 winner on last week and she took mm-hmm. like a 3 year break. Yeah. And I was looking at you and I'm thinking okay, you made history in 2018. And I remembered that, and I'm thinking, like, but I forgot it until I was going back and re-reviewing my notes and everything. I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) He was in the same area of winning, if you would, as Ramona was. Ramona won in 2018, but you were also on the stage you placed in 2018. And then in you know, uh, 2019, you go on to win. And I just, listening to your speech, 2019 speech, that was all you. That was, and I listened to your 2018 speech. But 2019, that was just totally you. And I was like, that's the difference. And it's the same thing when I listened to Ramona's. And it's just that moment in time when everything just was so synchronized and you were so, you were a part of the story in yeah. 2019 in a way that you weren't just telling an abstract story or anything like that. It was your story to tell. And it resonated with the audience because Toastmasters International is an international audience to begin with, and it resonated on so many levels. And I was just waiting, waiting, waiting for the moment when you said towards the end about how the story would end. And I don't want to ruin it for anybody who has not watched it. It's on the LinkedIn platform. Uh, Erin has shared it, it's on YouTube as well. But it was phenomenal because there you were a man a human being, a man, in an environment and being placed in a situation to be the keeper of the shoes. And you took that seriously. and, And for me, that's kind of where I want to start off at. Okay. Aaron attended a wedding and you were attending an Indian wedding, which is a cultural event, which is a major event in Indian culture to begin with. And you were tasked with keeping the groom's shoes. But
2: it was the way that
0: you kept them. It's the way that you kept them that tells me that there is, that's why I, I was like, okay, it's the way that he did it and how intense you were on doing it so well that told me something about who you were as a human being. Not so much about the shoes, but then it became about you and anything that you deem worthy to be protected, how you would protect that. So I don't know if you want to talk about what you were feeling at that moment when you were assigned that task and then how you were feeling as each time you had to rationalize in your mind, is this a trick? Is, am I being deceived? You know, because you went back and you had these thoughts in your mind. But then when you get to the final moment, that was just this look on your face that I felt when you reached that final point. And, again, I don't want to go there just yet, but it's the person that you were in charge of those shoes. You brought with you something that was bigger than that moment with you. Your, your mindset on what you believe protection was and, and on keeping something safe comes from another space, comes from another time in your life. And if you want to talk about that when you found out what you were going to be assigned to do, then, you know, feel free to do that. But if not and you just want to stick to the topic of the speech, We can do that as well. And I like to make things organic. I like to make them on the spot versus us running a script. So anyone that has come on the show, I leave it open to them to talk about what you're feeling like talking about. And if it ties into Toastmasters, that's fine. If it doesn't, if it it ties into anything that you would say to anyone who's facing a difficult obstacle at the moment, then please feel free to talk about that. Overall, my platform is to people who have overcome difficult things, to say that there is life after the difficulty. There's life after what you've gone through. It's life after whatever experiences that you're dealing with right here and now, because we're living in such a time when people are on edge about so many different things in life. And not taking this moment in time for granted, that somebody who's tuned in, we have been gaining traction internationally, Aaron. People are listening in India. People are listening in Pakistan. People are listening in Spain. We've gone you know, into a global community. So right now, I don't know who's listening or where they're listening from. But whatever it is that you feel that you want to share with us about your journey to the finals, And winning in 2019, what made you the person that you were that took that assignment as seriously as you did, then speak on that with the intent of speaking to a boy, a man, a woman, a girl about adversity and overcoming it because you didn't just arrive on that stage. There was preparation behind it. There was things in your life that prepared you for that moment, and that's kind of like what I'm laying open to you. This platform is yours to take it any way that you would like to take it.
1: All right. Well, I think it's best if I start with just some previous context about Toastmasters International and why I joined. I joined Toastmasters to get better at public speaking, and I joined because I watched a person who was able to get up and speak eloquently and just enamor people with his words. His name is Dilip Abe Sekra. He was the president of Toastmasters International in 2005 and 2006. He was the one who introduced me to Toastmasters, and I learned from him. When I joined Toastmasters, my world began to open up. I started to see that it wasn't just – me and the people in my neighborhood, the people in my city or the people in my state. The world is huge. There are so many different cultures. There are so many different backgrounds, and being a part of Toastmasters helped me see that because Toastmasters is in over 100 countries around the world. Over time, I kept my journey in Toastmasters going, and I met a lot of different people, including my friend Brandon, who was a Toastmaster, and Brandon one day said that he was getting married and he was going to be getting married in India. I told him a year ahead of time that if you get married there, then I will be there to see you get married. So Toastmasters actually helped spark that story of me going to India and being a part of an Indian wedding. My friend Brandon is Caucasian and his bride to be was Indian. So I was amongst Caucasian and Indian families and I felt a little bit out of place. And the shoe ceremony that you're talking about, it was sprung up on me out of the blue. We were traveling to the wedding. And a man named Sumit gave me the task of protecting Brandon's shoes as a part of a ceremony that they have. And it, it was just a interesting experience. It definitely was taken seriously, the mission of protecting the shoes. But overall, it was a great experience. got to have fun with a lot of people, and you really got to see a different culture. It's a culture that I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to be a part of if it had not been for my friend inviting me, and I would not have met my friend if it wasn't for Toastmasters. Now, the contest in itself is something that I've been striving at for the past eight years now. I started in 2012. I started with the goal to become the world champion of public speaking, and I just thought all of my dreams were going to be made once I won the world championship of public speaking. I was going to be friends with so many celebrities. Everybody would want to have me on all of their television shows, and I would be a millionaire. My life would be made just by winning the championship. So I wrote a speech, and I thought it was the best speech in the world. There was nothing that was greater than this speech. The Toastmasters contest is a six-round contest held annually. I thought I was going to go through all six rounds, be crowned world champion, so you can imagine my surprise when I could only get out of the – I couldn't even get out of the second round. And that is when I started to learn that I needed more. I needed to learn how to create a speech that meant something. I needed to learn speech structure. I needed to learn storytelling. It just so happened that I had a great mentor coming in the door of Toastmasters that I never utilized. Dilla Babasekera, the one who introduced me to Toastmasters, I went to him and I learned the fundamentals. A lot of people try to get by on talent without really mastering the fundamentals. I went back and learned the fundamentals and decided not to rely on talent. Philip taught me the fundamentals, and I was running with those fundamentals ever since. I started competing in 2012 when I could not get out the first round. With Billup's help, that next year, 2013, I was able to get to the semifinals for the first time. Then I kept competing 2014, 15. In 2014, I made it back to the semifinals. 2015, I didn't get back to the semifinals. I placed second, but the big thing that year was that the speech I gave was something that was more from the heart. It was something that was more natural to me. Somebody came up to me after that speech and said, Aaron, even though it came second place in the district, which was round four, that was the best speech that I've ever heard you give. So I took that speech, and then I used it again in 2016. I refined it, enhanced it, and used it again. And that was a speech called One Rule, and the premise about that speech was just to be yourself. And that was the speech that got me to the finals for the first time in 2016. In 2016, I got to the world stage for the first time. And I gave a speech that people know simply as the 57-word title speech. It was a speech with a very long title. Nobody had done that on the world stage before. But for me, I wanted to be different. I wanted to get people's attention. I wanted them to know that, okay, this is going to be different from what you've heard before. But it's also going to have a good message. That's what I was aiming for when I had something that was just so different. From What other people were doing now that speech did well but it won second place instead of the world championship that year and personally I did not feel that I had did, done my best then I decided from that point on that I was going to focus on executing my speech the way that I believe it should be executed 2017 I made it back to the semifinals but I couldn't advance out of the semifinals again. However, in 2017, I felt more content than I did in 2016 because I gave that speech in 2017 the best way that I could. I did everything that I could with that speech at that time. There was nothing to be upset about. So once I was over the initial disappointment, there was nothing that I could hold on to because I did what I needed to do. So I tried again in 2018. And one would believe that I was regressing because I placed second in the district again. So I went from making the world championship to not getting out of the semifinals, and now I couldn't get out of the district. But again, it was something about the story and the message that I was sharing that year that I said I'm going to refine this speech, refine this story, and then use it again next year in the 2019 contest. And in the 2019 contest, just from the climate of the world at this point, the the divisiveness that we experience a lot in the world and especially in America right now, I wanted to create a speech that dealt around unity. So I repurposed my speech. I changed the message to be about unity. And that was a speech that was called The Greatest Stories That You Will Ever Hear, and it was about family and the power of a family story. That speech was able to get me out of the district, back to the semifinals, and it won me a spot in the World Championship of Public Speaking this year. So once again, I had the opportunity to get on the stage, but my goal was never to win the World Championship of Public Speaking. My ultimate goal was simply to get back on that stage and execute my speech the way that I believed I was capable of executing it. When I got on stage, that was my primary mission, to make sure that I gave that speech the way that I knew it could be given. When I was backstage, I didn't listen to anybody else's speech. I had my headphones in, I was listening to music, and all the while I was thinking, what do I need to do? Because if I had listened to my other opponents speak, I would have been thinking about what they had done. Maybe I would be concentrating on the mistakes they made. Maybe I would be concentrating on the things they did well and thinking about how I needed to do better than them. That's not where my mindset needed to be. It needed to be on the message and on the audience. So I get up, I tell that story about the shoes and the wedding in India And then once everything was said and done, I believe that winning the World Championship of Public Speaking that year was a byproduct of everything that happened before. It was a byproduct of deciding to compete again and again and again. It was a byproduct of making sure that my mind was in the right place, and it was just a byproduct of hard work.
0: And, Aaron, that's exactly what people need to understand. A lot of people want that overnight. They want that mm-hmm. instant gratification. And consistently, consistently, you kept coming for the improvement that you could make in yourself. I like the fact exactly. that you didn't blame the judges. I like the fact that you took responsibility for where you placed versus saying that the judges were biased or the judges didn't, you know, you, you, I've not heard you say anything about anybody other than yourself. You challenged yourself. You you began to compete with yourself to be the ver- best version of yourself versus yes. trying to imitate or emulate anyone else, and that is ultimately when it no longer mattered whether you won or exactly. not. It was until you were satisfied with you that you had completely done absolutely everything that you needed to do to be okay with the outcome is when everything fell in place. Yep. And it still takes and, me back to what I said. Yes, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, apologize for interrupting. When you mentioned about the judging That is where my mind was going in 2016 when I was on the world stage. So I fumbled over a couple words and said some things I didn't mean to say when I was on the stage in 2016. And once that happened, my mind started to go on the judges. I started thinking, oh, wait, did the judges catch that? Oh, wait, the judges Mm -hmm. are going to mark me down for that. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, that speech that I was intending to give was suddenly off focus it did not center around my audience anymore. It was centering around the judges and my fear of being judged by those judges and marked down on their ballots and that's not where my mind should have been. Contrast to 2019 where I felt that I did fumble over a word or two but I just powered through and I did not think about the judges once while I was on the stage.
0: And that's the difference is because I've been a judge all the way up to the district level. And it's not intentional that a judge can pick up on those things, but it's when you make it obvious
2: mm-hmm.
0: is when the judge picks up on it. You know, not not that they are missing it, but it's like, okay, you have this criteria as a judge that you have to follow And everybody else in the room is aware of the criteria for the contest. And the judges aren't supposed to be known to the audience. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. when you turn in your ballots to the chief judge, the chief judge knows whether you did your judging fairly or not. And it determines whether, you know, they want to use you again as a judge. Because if they feel like, you know, okay, you ignored this, you ignored that, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, I never, um, obviously, you know, you're not allowed to judge anybody that you're in a club with or that, you know, that you have knowledge of in that instance. Mm -hmm. But for the same reason, it's just removing color out of the picture, removing gender out of the picture, and just judging the speech itself, judging the speech for what it is and then, the person's body language, you know, obviously you have to judge on that. At that particular moment, when you took your focus off your speech and you put it on yourself, then that became obvious to the audience as well, not just to the judges, but to the audience. And the audience would have, you know, it's like the audience has the right to go and challenge if they believe that, the judging wasn't done fairly. Mm -hmm. And Toastmasters has that standard, and I'm glad that they have that standard in place. I I really am. But at the same time, there's still a level of subjectivity. Once it gets out of the judge's hands and into the chief judge and to the people who are making the final decision, there's a lot of subjectivity in there. Yes. There, There really is. But in order for you to gain the attention of the audience, just knowing that the audience overall, somebody in the audience has the right to challenge the decision. And you took your mind off of the audience. You took your mind off of the judge. You you really took your mind off the competition is what I saw in the 2019 speech. And you were right back when you were talking about your speech you were right back at the wedding. that's what I picked up on. Is that you on stage, but you had taken yourself and you went back to the wedding and you were reliving the wedding and I felt that for me. I, I literally felt the presence of you being in that moment in time in the wedding, and when you turned and you were like when the the huge camera guy came. <laughs> That they joined I'm like, oh my God, no, they're not gonna join. Ranks against them. I'm like, oh my God. And <laughs> the look on your face when you turned around was like, oh. But I, you know, it's like I tried. I was overpowered. I tried. And you said, getting those shoes back cost him ten times what those shoes were actually worth. But yep. it wasn't about. It wasn't a fail. Because you were supposed to ultimately, at the end of the whole scenario, surrender the shoes, not on your free will. Nobody made you. you they were forcibly taken from you. And you said, in conclusion, that the unity that it brought between the white family, the Indian family, and the only black African-American person in attendance at that wedding, it made you become a part of that universal family.
2: It wasn't Mm -hmm. about
0: the race anymore. It was like people had come together to join as a family. And exactly, you said that it meant a lot for you to talk about that because of the condition of affairs of this work. Yeah. And I think that that when you did that, I heard the audience receive that. I heard the audience receive that, and they were like, yes, you know, not so many, not not so much saying yes, but it was just like we get it, we get it. Yes, that's what we should be doing. That's what we should be celebrating. We should not be divided about all of these other things. We should come together and celebrate the things that we have in common. And that is where I find my voice. For me, talking to people. overcome difficulties in life, no matter what it is, ultimately to say to anyone who comes on this program, what I'm ultimately after is to get people to see the common ground that we have. And you don't have to agree with everything that's said. You don't have to believe everything that's said in the context of I'm trying to persuade you that you should be this or you should be that. But you should be willing to hear someone's truth, someone's story, because nobody mm-hmm. can tell your story like you can. Nobody can relay that. Even if Brandon had have tried to tell your version of the story, he would not have succeeded because Brandon was there as the groom. Yep. Right?
1: Yeah, his perspective and would have been completely different.
0: Exactly, exactly, and he probably just thought, you know, those shoes cost me ten times more, that's money, blah, blah, you know, so his whole, his whole take on it would have been different, but to hear you be able to come away with that and say, you know what, I became a part of a global family, I became a part of a culture for however long that I was there, I was, I was entrenched in this culture, I was a part of this culture. I was accepted by this culture. And at the end of the day, you came out and you were in your attire that you wore to the wedding, and I thought that was absolutely beautiful because I was looking at you when you first came out, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and I recognized it was Indian attire. And I saw your complexion, and India has. People who are of your complexion,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? So I didn't. As for a minute, I thought, okay, was he adopted? Because honestly, I mean, <laughs> it's not like you weren't believable in that attire, as you could have truly been an Indian of, yeah. of that, in, you know, of that, you know, time and space. Because there are people who are your complexion and darker in India. And all I kept thinking was like, okay, is he adopted? Or, you know, one of his parents was Indian dotted or whatever. So I kept waiting for you to start speaking with an Indian accent, even though your name was Aaron W. Beverly. I still was waiting for you to start speaking. And I missed that I had seen you before because I was so caught up in your presentation. Then I realized, wait a minute, okay, after the fact, that, wait a minute, he's been on the stage before, okay, that or whatever, but it was like, you were so believable.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going for when I decided to wear that attire. So, the, it's called a kurta. Uh, they,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think they call it a kurta pajama. Uh, that is what the attire is called with a, a mid-coat, I think they call the vest that I was wearing. So, when I came to the conclusion that I was going to wear that, I said, I want to do this because, again, I want to be different. I want to come out sta- come out on stage and make a statement. And the statement that I wanted to be made was that, okay, this is going to be different from what we have heard before. And not only from other people, but for myself. I didn't want this to be a repeat of the same style that I did in 2016 this was going to be something different from 2016 it was going to be something new from 2016 it was going to be another part of aaron beverly that you had not seen before
0: and it worked because if you had come out in a three piece american suit and told that story it would not have resonated as well as it mm-hmm. did because from the moment that you came out, you came out representing that culture as a black man, African-American man, however you want, you know, to be addressed in that situation. But I recognize that I work primarily, I'm in IT, so as, a, you know, as my profession outside of this broadcast, and so I recognize the attire, and I've attended mm-hmm. other Indian events, and so I knew and I just was trying to wrap my mind around the whole thing. I'm like, okay, I was in anticipation. What is he getting ready to say? What is he getting, you know, I mean, I was just on on edge waiting to hear what you had to say. Because to, to put the, the attire and you and the name, even down to the shoes, I mean, the shoes you had on are so typical of the kinds of shoes, you know, but what would really, thrown it into just, you know, overdrive as if you'd have had the actual, like, you know, Indian-type shoes that the groom probably had to have. I don't know if he had the actual Indian shoes or whatever um, for the wedding, but still, it's just those pointed toes that you had on on those shoes. I was like, okay, this is so believable, and I can't wait to hear the whole speech, because I had caught a trailer of it, but I had not heard the whole speech. Hmm. So for me, yeah, for me, it was just like, okay, I really uh, am looking forward to this. So, yeah, I, but it was, I still keep going back in my mind. I'm still seeing you at that moment when you realize the magnitude of the assignment that you had been given. For me, that was like, you know, hey, I got this. I can do this. I got this. And, and you knew exactly what to, what to expect. Like, okay, you know, I think she's trying to deceive me. <laughs> I think that they're getting ready to double up on me. It's like all of those self-talks that you were giving. It's like, you know, you know I was told by Tony that this would happen, this would happen. Could she be? Like, she's flattering me. Like, what? Is she trying to? Like, okay, wait a minute. No, 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 you can't have the shoes. And when she came back and she was, you know, more aggressive, you're like, okay, so you're really not going to get the shoes and your determination. So I don't know. I would I would have loved to have been there listening to them give you feedback on how you did and everything, because I know that must have been a spotlight in itself. But when the cameraman came over, I'm just like, okay, wait a minute. Why are they going to send a big cameraman over there to take the shoes? Like, seriously? And in my mind, when you said he was big, I mean, I've seen big, and I thought, oh my God, this is going to turn ugly. <laughs> and when you said that you no longer had control of the shoes, I was like, oh my God, I hope they didn't hurt him. But I know they, I know they did. But <laughs> I'm so visual, so I was reliving the whole thing with you, and I'm thinking, like, wow, he really was serious about his assignment, and I think that that speaks. To another part of you as a human being. It has to. It absolutely has to speak to another part of you as a human being. So overall, and my crutch word right now is I need to get back. Um, I have not been active for a little while because in Toastmasters because I've been managing some other things in my life. And so I'm coming back into that, and I hear me. I want to click myself, you know, with a little clicker. And in my mind, I'm clicking myself. I'm thinking, okay, really, like, okay, seriously, click, click, click. <laughs> and I love Toastmasters. I completed my BPM in 2015, 14-15 mm-hmm. season, and served as an area governor and charted um, a club and things like that. And just, I had a great time. And Toastmasters, for me, was instrumental in me recovering because I went through a very traumatic experience where I had to learn to write. I had to learn to articulate again. I had to learn, oh, my God, how to speak. Mm-hmm. How to speak. I, I literally, it was, I lost, you know, lost a lot of things that I had to regain in Toastmasters with my strength. And I tell people that, is that I was in Toastmasters before the tragedy happened. And after the tragedy happened, I was so different from when I first started. And I kept hearing people say, well, it's going to take you this long to do this and do this, and it's going to take you this long to advance to this, this, this and this. But I had come face to face with my own mortality. And all I knew was is that tomorrow is not promised to me. And I stopped listening to people tell me how long it was going to take, and I just dug in and I said, I'm going to get this done because I don't know what next year is going to hold or the year after that's going to hold. So I went through the whole process of everything that I had to do to become a DTM with the intent that I may not get another chance to become a DTM. But in that, I was given the opportunity to regain my speech I mean, literally, regain my ability to speak and Toastmaster. And the tools and the skill set that I had gained prior to my tragedy were the things that I used to get myself through that, to retrain my brain, retrain my mind to be able to speak again, to be able to write again, to be able to just really think again. Because the tragedy that happened to me was so suddenly and it was so intense that if I had dwelled on it, it would have completely wiped me out. Mm-hmm. But having something to push for in Toastmasters was that. It wasn't about anybody else. It was like Toastmasters was going to give me the strength that I needed. It was like the the therapy that I needed to get myself back together. And that's why when I hear people talk about Toastmasters to them, it's something that I had always wanted to be a part of ever since I found out about Toastmasters. But I never took the time to be a part of it. And when I finally did, I was just so excited to be a part of it. So for me talking to you about your journey, I get it because When you talk about this year, this, this year, and this, all those years that you were talking about, I was still trying to recover. I was still recovering. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the fact that life was going on, and I'm glad to hear, and this is so important because there is life after tragedy. There is life after what is considered a defeat. There is life after everything that you're going through, but you have to stay alive to be a part of it. You can't just, you know, walk away and feel sorry for yourself and hang on. I mean, tragedy, things are horrendous, things are tragic, but there are people who are depending on you, people who are counting on you, people who are looking to you, people who are emulating and, and hoping that you pull through, hoping that you succeed, hoping that you make it, and then there are other people who don't want to see you make it, but you wanted to make it for yourself. That, that was really key, is that you had set a determination to yourself. I am not going to give up until I'm satisfied that I've done absolutely all that I can do to succeed on this platform. And that's life. That's life, is that you take that same principle and you apply it to your life, your actual day-to-day life, and you say to someone who's facing a tragedy, facing a difficulty, and let them know that you have to see beyond what's going on right now. As painful as it is, as difficult as it is, as hard as it is to embrace, if you don't persist, if you don't pursue the thing that is trying to say you can't win, you won't win, you're not going to win and then it doesn't become about the end game. It becomes about you. It becomes about I know that until I have done all that I can do, I'm not finished. And that's what resonates as someone who can attain the championship. When mm-hmm. you have gotten to the point where it's not about that trophy, but it's about until you have taking yourself to the maximum, absolute maximum of your ability, and you've given absolutely all that you have to give, and you're satisfied and you're complete and you're content with that, whether you win that trophy or the title or whatever, you won. You won, you defeated the inner you that said you couldn't do it and that mm-hmm. you wouldn't do it. And, and that's, that's synchronizing inside of you that's resonating inside of you and like I'm doing everything that I can do that I have to do that I must do to get back and this time if I win the approval of the people it's okay but if I don't I've won the approval of myself and that's what to me is just resonating with anybody who gets to the point where they can become a champion. And whatever it is that they're doing, is that they have finally bested themselves. So I just appreciate you so much for your perseverance because you recounting 2013, I joined in 2013, and things you know, that you overcame to get to where you were and are right now is amazing. And to the millennials, I perceive that you are a millennial. And yes. based on just your conversation, that's so important because there are a lot of people who have counted out the millennials and the X's and the Y's and the Z's and all of that. And it's like, you know, they don't have what it takes. They don't have the attention span. They don't have the ability to do this and do this and do this. And here you are standing as one of those millennial representing like, look, look at what you can do. Whether you want to be in Toastmasters or whether you want to do this or do that, whatever it is that you want to do in life, you have it within you to attain. But yes, it took some people to come along and coach you, mentor you, to guide you along the way. But ultimately, all of that would have been for naught if it had not resonated inside of you and it was something that you wanted to do and to pursue so to anyone who's out there facing a trial a circumstance a difficulty whatever it is what would you say to them that would cause them what what is it that you would say would be the ignition point inside of them that would say look okay you can do this you can get over this you can get through this you can come out of this what would you say to them especially to your peers
1: Honestly, what I would say is that you have the power, and I know it sounds cliche, but it is absolutely true. You mentioned before that the whole time when I was speaking, the whole time I was going through my process and competing, I did not blame the judges, because that would have taken power away from me on what I could do to make myself better. If I blame the judges, that's saying that they had the power to make me a champion instead of me having the power to make myself a champion. If I'm blaming my opponents, I'm giving them the power, saying that they had the power and I didn't. You always have the power to make yourself better. It just takes a dedicated effort to make sure that you persist. Even in those times when you don't want to move forward, move forward anyway. There were a couple years where I thought maybe I shouldn't compete this year, but I did anyway because I knew that if I didn't, I was going to regret it even more. So, again, you have the power. It just takes a dedicated effort to move forward.
0: And what would you all that dedicated effort because dedicated effort can be broad but if you can narrow that down the dedicated effort something it has to be something something someone something something that is significant enough to make you want to take the effort to be dedicated to pursue and to win and whatever it is you're doing so it, it has to be something that is significant to make you want to have the effort to be dedicated to it. Can you drill down to that level?
1: Well, personally, I don't think it's anything that's necessarily significant or at least nothing more significant than your desire to achieve your goal. It depends on the goal that you have. So I wanted to become a better speaker so I set goals to become a better speaker, and I use the contest as my medium to do that. And
0: that's, through that's that it right Master, there.: Yes. That's it right.: and there. Through
1: that Toastmaster contest, that is what I use. So you have to find the medium for you to take that action.:
0: Now that's it right there. So initially your intent was to become better at, better at speaking, better at communicating. And the tool that was in front of you, the resources that were in front of you, all the things that came together to visually for me, it's like um, the cutting of that diamond the making of that diamond, the pressure that is applied to that diamond. And to come out and to be something spectacular that other people want to also see it, be a part of it. But a lot of people don't want to go through the pain, the process. There is no way to go around the process. You have to go through the process. It's hard sometimes to go through the Mm -hmm. process, but you have to go through the process. Your success did not come overnight. It was with persistence that you kept applying the pressure to yourself and to your goal to say, you know, this is something that's going to be mastered. It's going to be mastered by me. And the only way that it's going to happen is that I have to continue to pursue it. I have to pursue after my goal, I have to be dedicated to my goal, and I have to be willing to put in the effort. And that goes back to having your will. You had free will. You could have dropped it. You could have walked away from it because, you know what, I'm tired. I'm done. You know, I'll come back when I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm
0: going to go do something else. But you set it in your mind that this was a here and now moment, and you kept coming after it, and you you know kept pursuing it. And this is important in life because society is counting out so many people based on their inability to do something that they believe they should be doing. But when you have that something in you, something that has been put inside of you that says you don't give up because it got hard the first time, you don't give up because Other people say you can't do it and you should give up. You didn't rely. I I didn't hear you say one time that you got sidetracked because somebody told you to stop. Somebody told you you're not going to make it. Somebody told you that you're not going to win. Somebody told you that, you know, it was fruitless, that people were being racist, people were being this or whatever. I did not hear you articulate that in the way that you explained your process. It was all in your control. So you did what was in your control to get to the point of being a better speaker. And then becoming a better speaker, you got awarded champion speaker. Because you no longer were trying to ascend. You just wanted to complete your goal. And in completing your goal, you got rewarded for it.
1: That's exactly right. Uh, I say that I won the World Championship of Public Speaking the one year I stopped trying to win the World Championship of Public Speaking. This year was completely all about growth.
0: That makes me (laughs) misty-eyed. That makes me misty-eyed because that is a growth mindset. It will serve you well. It will serve you well, way beyond Toastmasters. It will serve you well in life. And I want to thank you so very much for being on here. And I don't know your background beyond this, but somebody did, or life or something made you who you are today. Ah. Uh and if if it was your parents, if it was circumstances, whatever it was, great job, great job because you just didn't become a champion in twenty nineteen It was inside of you, it just had to be revealed
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I think that that's all of us in in a scenario is that you don't really know what you're capable of until you push yourself to the limit and that's resonating within me as well so this is good this is, this is really really good and I'm, I'm really thinking about all of this and to anyone who is facing a difficulty in life whatever it is is that right now you may not feel like you can make it you may feel very weak and ineffective But it's in you to make it. And you can make it. You have to make up your mind that you are going to make it. You have the will to make it. You have to make it. And you will make it. And you will succeed. And in the process of succeeding, you will show the world how to overcome Difficulties in life And that's hard It's gut wrenching It's it's like that's the last thing in the world That you want to have to be tasked with But we all have been given a race to run And how we run it And how we do it Is really up to us It's all about you At the end of the day Is that you have a challenge in front of you Will you accept the challenge Or will you just let the challenge Overtake you And you chose to defeat everything, every obstacle that was coming against you. You haven't talked about anything that was going on in your personal life. But getting up every day, we all face things in life that we have to overcome in order to get to where we want to be in life. And for some of us, we learn that sooner. Some of us, we learn it later. And some of us, we never learn it. But my hope is that by listening to this broadcast, wherever you are in this world, today, tomorrow, next year, whenever you hear this broadcast, that you understand ultimately the stage that you're on is life, how you progress in life, it's up to you. People come and people go. Fear itself. People call it false evidence appearing real. A lot of times, that's exactly what it is. Your mind can put thoughts in your head that seem so real, that never ever come to pass, but they're so real at the moment. But what if you never push past the fear to see what it is that you really can accomplish? You will never know if you don't. Put in the effort. In spite of what's in front of you, you have to put in the effort. You can overcome the difficulties in life and there is life after. But you have to stay alive to see Here on Patricia Adams Live, we have Aaron W. Beverly, the 2019 World Champion Public Speaker of Toastmasters International. And his winning speech is embedded on this show page, and it's also on YouTube. Aaron, do you have anything else that you would like to share with the audience?
1: Well, if anybody is interested in contacting me, they can reach me at Aaron at speakandbu.com and if you have questions or inquiries, you can send them there. But other than that, I just say keep speaking, keep improving, and keep moving forward.
0: Repeat how they can contact you again, Aaron.
1: Yep. Aaron, A-A-R-O-N at speak So speak S P E A K and A N D B B E Y O U dot com.
0: Okay, that's Aaron at speaknbu dot com. Contact him and never know, never know until you try. Reach out to him if you'd like to have him come and do a workshop, come and do a training, whatever it is that you believe that he can contribute to you. He is world-traveled. I believe that means he has a passport. Have a passport, world travel. (laughs) He belongs to the global community, so I believe if you can put it all together and it aligns with his schedule, I believe you guys can make it happen. And I look forward to hearing more about you and more from you. And the invitation is always open if you want to come and promote something else that you're doing. Erin, feel free to do that here on Patricia Adams Live. And thank you for taking time out of your day. This is Patricia Adams Live and Erin W. Beverly signing off. And we wish you well. And remember, you can't overcome life's difficulties. You just have to put in the effort and make it happen. Be blessed. See you again on the next episode. Thank you, a Thank you. Bye-bye.